Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Omar Project. Before we get started, I want to make sure I invite you to join the OmarProject.com. That's spelled O-M-A-R, because you can get a lot of great insight on project management, the skills you need to up your game, and also learn from the best project managers in the world on the most complex projects. On this week's episode, we'll talk about two things. One is when your project's going great, what do you do about having extra money or extra time. And secondly, we'll talk about what happens on globally interface projects, which means you've got different phases, different pieces of the project being done globally and how you work with different countries in that. Let's get started with our first question from Richard from Ohio. The project I'm leading is going great. We haven't run into any of the risks that we anticipated. We're hitting our deterministic date but our forecast is trending lower than forecasted for the range of the budget I committed to. I have contingency as well that has not been touched. At what point should I start to give back funding to the organization? Thank you, Richard, for the question. And this is always a very great question. And it's also a tricky question for project managers. Now, as the holders of the capital for the organization, we have made certain uh, commitments to how much we're going to spend. And a lot of that time, those commitments include risk allocation. So we think risks are going to come up. We add a little bit of money there to take care of the risk when they do come up. Because in all truth and all honestly, what happens on a project is a lot of times these risks do come up. Now, there are the there are the projects, the rare project where very few things go wrong. And that's obviously because of great planning, could be because of a great team, could be a lot of reasons, but it's going great for, for Richard. The question is, what do I do if I'm seeing that my schedule is hitting, you know, the basically the, the earliest date that's possible, which is deterministic. And that also means that a lot of the time that I was going to spend on all these other things I thought might've come up, I'm not. So I have extra cash. I have extra capital allocated to this project. This is a, a very interesting question because as a project manager, you almost never want to give up the cash or the capital you have towards your project unless you know for sure that you have no risks. The the worst thing or the, the worst thing that could happen here is that you give up the cash or you give up capital and then a risk that you didn't realize materializes and then you are out of cash and you you actually don't hit your metrics and the project becomes a failure because you don't have enough money and you have to go back to a board to go actually ask for more money because that that once you give up that funding, it will get allocated to another part of the business or another project and it's out of your hands. So there is a certain risk with giving up the cash and that's why sometimes project managers don't like doing it because it doesn't feel like hey, what happens if something happens in my project? How am I going to take care of the, the, my team and the people that I have? Now, what I would say about this is, is a couple of things. One is you really need to understand the risks on your project. And by that is if you have a great pulse on the risk that exists within your project, then you can then understand whether that money is something that you need to hold on to or not. In most cases, if the majority of your big risks are gone, so for example, you're doing a project and you finish some of the key milestones of that project. Everything has been completed. It's been checked, double checked, triple checked. Maybe you've already started the construction and the construction's gone well. Now you know, hey, these are the riskiest parts of the project and they have passed. 
if anything comes up past this point, it's likely going to be something very small. It's going to be within a controllable risk that I can take care of. So what you'll do at that point is just take out the, the big risk that you had allocated and you can give those back. You can give back that contingency if you haven't spent that back to the business. And the reason, the reason this is so important to the business is because you're holding on to cash or capital that other parts of your organization could definitely use to either hire more people, do more projects, or do more that could bring revenue to your organization. So it's always important to have that, that tension of when do I give back the contingency or when do I give back extra funding that I might have because my project's going well. So I hope that answered your question. I think this is always something that we as project managers hope to be in a situation where we can say, yes, we have so much extra stuff that we have to think about how much we want to give away. Most of the time, guys, for project managers, you're not in this position. You are actually in a position where you're trying to, to manage the risk with the capital you have, and you really can't give it away. So this is something I would say is the rare occasion. Uh, if you're asked about this, giving back money too much, then I think one of the things you could also look at is your estimates. Maybe your estimating is a little bit too uh, conservative, and that should be tied back in to make sure you're hitting within a, within a good range on most of the projects that you have. All right, let's go to the next question from James in Nevada. We have a project that has multiple different global interfaces. Okay, I like those types of projects. Very big and all across the world. The construction will be in an Asian country that's not named here while the engineering will be completed in the United States and Europe. This is very common, folks. Uh, this is common structure for projects, something that's done in US, Europe, could be done other parts of the world. And then you may have construction somewhere where it's less expensive overseas. This is very common for, for projects. What added risks should I consider that may not be obvious? And he must be, or this James must be talking about a risk register uh, that he, he may want to think about, or maybe he's just coming onto one of these projects and he wants to know, hey, how can I better prepare myself for something that's so global? There are a number of things. I have worked on a number of global projects, many different countries, uh, Latin America, Brazil, uh, in France, in Malaysia, in Singapore, all these different countries that have different cultures. So the first thing I would say is read up and understand your business culture that you're going to be dealing with. Because if you have one phase of the project being done out of a different culture, the, the business setting and the, the understanding culturally how to interface with them, how to negotiate with them is going to be very critical. And if you are on an, an earlier phase or phase that hands off to construction, such as engineering, that is going to be uh, something that's going to be very helpful for you once you start communicating. Because as we know, once you build the project, it's not like it always goes perfect, right? You have things that need to be re-engineered or fixes that need to be made. And there's always going to be some questions coming back from that contractor that's on the construction side that need to be answered. So this is very critical to make sure you have a good way of understanding it. One of the things that people should be aware of is that in Asian cultures, they are not as uh, blunt, at, for lack of a better word, as we are in the United States or as in Western cultures, especially if you're dealing with some of the Nordic cultures <laughs> like Dutch, they, are, they can be very blunt. Um, but there are other countries, other cultures that are just very blunt in nature. And when you ask somebody a question in Asia, we, they may not say right off the bat, yes, it may be more of a soft yes. It may be, yeah, we could do that. It may be a shaking of the head. 
And a no in that culture, which in the US or in Europe, that is when you say no, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I get that. In other countries, that's not the same. So if you're going in Asia and you say no, they may not want to say no. They may want to say, yeah, we might do that. Or they may say something a little bit softer. And interpreting that culture is very important because in engineering or when you're in a project phase, it's all about agreements. And when you're dealing with a different culture, you ask them, hey, are you going to take this handoff? And it's like, you have the baton. Are you going to pick this baton up? Yes or no? And if they say yes, but they really mean no, then the baton could get dropped. So it's very important to try and understand where that yes and no is and, and try and get a, a feel for that because that, that is something that is very important. And that's, that's a small risk uh, overall because I think it can get managed through processes and contracts. However, a lot of those things happening with a big team could become an issue. So that's something to be, to be cautious of. The other thing I would suggest is the time difference is not uh, something to just overlook. I think having worked on projects that are essentially 24-7 because you have construction going on in another part of the world, say Asia, and you're actually doing things in the daytime in the U.S., that 24-7 rotation is actually something that is, is it, it could be considered a risk to some folks. And the risk is actually potentially burning out. Because you in the U.S. may be doing your stuff during the day. You may be getting responses at night. You may have, to, you may have some meetings that just need to, be, need to be meetings because the communication needs to happen through a meeting. Those things may happen in the evening as well. And you may have to have the only other way to talk to them is in the early morning. So that type of communication could become a challenge for team members. So having a, a well-thought-out team that some folks might be able to get on that schedule so you don't have everybody trying to skirt around or, or extend their days for extended period of years. That is always something that could be helpful, especially from a burnout perspective. And it helps close the gap of communication because you want to have somebody that's there that can be there and interpret what, whatever you're trying to communicate at the same hours that they're working. So that's another thing I would say. And then lastly, I would say look into, especially since you mentioned construction, look into what their construction, what their construction is actually known for. Each country has a certain, and each each business, each organization has a certain way in which they operate. And this is often known when you're in the industry, where it's like if I work with this company, I, they're going to provide, they're going to be very quick, provide service, but they're a little bit more expensive. Some some companies are they're very quick, but or they, they're lower price, but they like to do change orders. You need to really understand where does this company stand in the gamut of how construction companies operate? Because very likely, because it's in a different country, they're going to have standards that may be different. For example, in the Middle East, lump sum is huge, huge. Most contracts are always lump sum. Now, that's different from the U.S. It's different from other parts of the world because we tend to do contracts a little bit differently. We like to make them more complicated or we like to make them where we have them staggered or structured differently. If you're dealing with contractors that are always used to lump sum, that's something you can expect is the lump sum model is going to be much more familiar to them. They may struggle with doing something that's outside of their normal expertise. So whatever you're bringing in, whatever you're having them sign off and how they can do things, just think about what they're used to doing and actually try and stay with what's comfortable to them. 
because you don't want to change their ways too much. Because if you do, then you're having to retrain all their people just on your one project. And that could be a mistake. And lastly, while we're on this subject, the last thing I want to say is try and have them stick to with the, the tools and the products that they're comfortable with. This can be an issue because us as engineers, we think we found a solution always on the way that we do it. And we like to do them a certain way. Uh, when you go with these international companies that are used to doing, doing work for lots of different international organizations, they also have found a way that they, they feel is most efficient. Try and understand what that is. If you're going to a contractor that's based in another country, really try and understand what is that that makes them really good at what they do. And what are the key things that they, they need to have to leverage that skill set? And don't take it away from them. If they're great at using a certain type of software and you don't use it, guess what? It may benefit you to stick with what they're using because they're ultimately the ones that are going to build it. And there's already going to be a communication issue just because of the timing and the culture. So you may want to try and keep them to what they're comfortable with. That may mean a little bit more work on your end. So that could be a risk for you that you could put on the risk register is, hey, I may have to, to train up some people because they're not going to be familiar with this software. That's something that you might have to do. Or we may have to, to learn a different technique of engineering because they're more familiar with this certain type of engineering versus what we do over here in the U.S. That's totally fine. These types of issues will be, will be brought up in every project. It's just finding them out early before you sign the contract. So that way you can put that into the contract and make sure that you've taken care of it. All right, James, I've went a little long on that question because I've have, I have quite a bit of experience with this, if you can't tell. And I hope this project goes great for you. These are always fun projects. And thank you for the question. Again, if anybody has a question for me, send it to podcast at theomarproject.com and we'll get it answered. You may even be featured on the show. And I will leave you with the question of the week is if you had to choose one key performance indicator for your group, which would it be? What's the only one that you could pick if you had one? What's the most important one to you? Hope you enjoy your week.